The following broadcast is released under a Creative Commons license. I believe in Jesus Christ, the only Son of God. I believe He lived and died, and that He rose again. I believe and trust in Him. Ascended into hell, Christ our living head will one day come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe and trust in Him. I will trust in my Redeemer, sing of His love. That lasts forever Though His hope and sure salvation I will trust in Him Though the world falls around me I rest and know that He has found me Christ the rock is my Welcome all to Pastor Yeshua. You've been listening to Creed by Richard Jensen from his album, Order of Service. By way of introduction, pastor is an acrostic which stands for preaching all salvation through one Redeemer. Our Redeemer, Yeshua, Jesus, is the Hebrew name for the Lord. It means Yahweh, the Lord, is salvation. Translated from Hebrew into the Greek language, the name Yeshua becomes Jesus. The English transliteration for Jesus is Jesus. This program deals with apologetics, questions on and about God, the Bible, and the Christian faith. I take questions and seek by Scripture to give answers and encouragement for everyone, including the tough-minded living in today's skeptical society. And now, let's join Pastor Yeshua. Welcome to Pastor Yeshua. For our regular listeners, we are undergoing a study of the book of 2 Thessalonians. Please open your copy of God's Word to chapter 3, where we will continue our study. Chapter 3, verse 1. Here in verse 1 of chapter 3, Paul clearly begins what is the final salutation to the book of 2 Thessalonians. In verse 1, Paul says, Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you. Here, the original word translated free course means to run or walk hastily, to have course. At first glance, one would assume that Paul is requesting prayer, that circumstances and that anyone who were hostile to the gospel would be 
overcome and defeated and that the gospel would go everywhere unhampered. But with the addition of the phrase, quote, even as it is with you, unquote, we are reminded that much of First and Second Thessalonians was written, in fact, due to the persecution and suffering of the Thessalonians and due to the gospel being preached. Further, the circumstances detailed in 1 Thessalonians regarding the founding of the church found in Acts reveal that persecution, animosity, and enmity was part and parcel of the preaching and teaching of the gospel for Paul and his companions. Therefore, it is more logical that Paul is praying that the success and results of preaching and teaching of the gospel will be the same success everywhere as it was in Thessalonica, despite the reality of persecution and tribulation and suffering and even martyrdom. Verse 2, And that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for all men hath not faith. So likewise, just as Paul and his companions were spared and delivered from unbelievers in Thessalonica, they're praying here that they would have the same hand of God's providence everywhere and elsewhere where they were brought by God's sovereign will to preach the gospel. Notice they're not praying that the unreasonable and wicked men would be removed because they know and understand that that is not part of the present life, that we are here as a result of uh, a world that has fallen into sin, rebellion, and wickedness, and that in fact our job as Christians is to preach the gospel and to preach repentance from that state whereby ultimately God will return and remove us from this world and will destroy the unreasonable and wicked men at that time. Verse 3, But the Lord is faithful who shall establish you and keep you from evil. Again, establish means to make stable, place firmly, set fast, fix, to strengthen, to make firm, to render constant, to confirm one's mind. To keep you means to protect from a person or thing. So we know God's sovereign will and purpose is perfect. Nothing happens to God's elect which is not according to his will. If it is God's will that we are established, strengthened, and kept from harm, then no power or weapon formed will prevail against us. If it is God's will that we should fall or fail, then no power or scheme will prevent such. Either way, if in fact we are God's elect, then we are in his hand and he keeps us and our end is secure in the sense that whatever happens now will not affect the fact that we will, we will inherit eternal life. Verse 4. And we have confidence in the Lord, touching that ye both do and will do the things we command you. 
Here, confidence just means trust, persuasion, and belief. Touching means in or upon, regarding. Command is simply the message or instruction or declaration. So here, Paul has confidence in the Lord regarding the Thessalonians that they are doing and will continue to do those things which Paul had taught and which God had revealed to instruct them. Verse 5, And the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patient waiting for Christ. Direct means a straight guide, the removal of the hindrances which allow for that straightness. Patient means waiting, steadfastness, constancy, endurance, sustaining, perseverance, or waiting for. So, we know we all have a dual nature, according to Paul in Romans chapter 7. And even after our salvation, we know our old nature exists until we die or until Christ returns. The old nature and the new nature, we know, are at war against one another. If indeed we are saved, then we will win the war. But the length, intensity, and the casualties vary and are uncertain. I believe that the spirit of this prayer in verse 5 fits into the battle. We can and should pray that God would direct our hearts and indeed our entire being into having the perfect love of God which hopes all things and endures all things, including the daily struggle as we wait patiently for Christ and either in our physical death or in his physical return. Another way to look at verse 5 is to understand that Paul here is pointing out the simplicity of a two-tiered Christianity. On the first tier, we have the fact that if God has in fact sovereignly elected and chosen us, then we will move along the scale according to Romans chapter 8, verses 29 and 30, to where we progressively grow and become sanctified into the image and nature of, of Christ and in the love of who he is according to all of the fullness of his nature, character, and attributes. This love will not only spill over because of his indwelling Holy Spirit for who God is, but it will also pour out into the love for like-minded brothers and sisters in Christ who are undergoing the same process. On the second tier, we move from this present life of what uh, Paul has just talked about with regard to uh, what God is doing in the lives of his elect now into the, quote, patient waiting for Christ, the hope of what's coming next until we come to the full understanding of what we have just been talking about in chapter 2 of Second Thessalonians 
where we, the church, Christ's God's elect, are waiting for the coming of Christ for his church and are gathering together to him, or the rapture. Those two tears encapsulate all that there is with regard to uh, the Christian walk. Verse 6. Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly and not after the tradition which he received of us. So here in verse 6, we move to the topic of church discipline. And when we talk about church, we're not necessarily limiting that to corporate structure. We're talking about two or more people gathered together who have the similarity of calling upon, understanding, and believing in the identity of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. The word command is the same as in verse 4. It's the message, the instruction, or a, it's a message, an instruction, or a declaration on the part of God. Withdraw means to avoid, to remove oneself, to withdraw oneself, or to depart. Walketh. It just means how one regulates one's life, or how one conducts oneself. Disorderly means an irregular or an inordinate or an, an immoderate level of pleasures of immorality or deviating from the prescribed order or rule that God has clearly revealed in his word. Tradition simply means that which is delivered, the substance of the teaching as revealed in context from cover to cover in God's word. So this verse complements Matthew chapter 18 and the commandment for the church for discipline. Once the necessity and requirements of Matthew 18 have been fulfilled, it is the duty of every believer to show solidarity in playing their part towards the ultimate goal, which is to humbly restore any given true and sincere fellow believer from error, sin, disorder, or heresy. To fail to do so, or conversely to allow or to support error, sin, disorder, or heresy, does three things. One, the brother or sister who is in sin is left in sin, and support by others only prolongs this or makes the situation worse. By refusing to exercise discipline, we endanger that person's relationship with Christ. 2. By encouraging, supporting, or remaining indifferent toward known sin and rebellion, we align ourselves with such and thereby call ourselves into sin and rebellion, along with all of the issues requiring discipline. A finally, three, by encouraging, supporting, or remaining indifferent towards known sin and rebellion, we cast disrepute and shame upon the body of Christ to the world.
Verse 7, For yourselves know how ye ought to follow us, for we behave not ourselves disorderly among you. Here in specific, Paul lists an example of walking disorderly, which he names in verse 8. Paul reminds the Thessalonians that in this case, Paul and his companions exercised discipline by withdrawing, by refusing to associate or be associated with those in the church who were refusing to work or were sponging off the hard work of others within the church. Instead, Paul worked as a tent maker in order to earn his own keep so that the offerings and tithes given by the Thessalonians could be allocated to the truly needy in the church. In verse 8, we have the example which we spoke of in verse 7. Neither did we eat any man's bread for naught, but wrought with labor and travail day and night, that we might not be chargeable to any of you. Not simply means freely, gratis, or gratuitously. Chargeable simply means to put a burden upon or to load. So here we can see that the same reference to the importance of working to carry one's own weight so as not to be a burden to others is first mentioned in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 verses 9 through 10. It is highly likely that Paul is admonishing and demonstrating self-sufficiency and a healthy work ethic in contrast to the philosophic movement called Cynicism, which was founded by Diogenes, a Corinthian native. By Paul's day, this movement had frequently degenerated into the sophist lifestyle of the itinerant philosophers who depended on contributions for a living. They had gained a bad reputation for fleecing the gullible crowd who came to listen to them. Essentially, both groups sought to live freely and comfortably at the cost of everyone else and prided themselves in the ability to do so. Verse 9, not because we have not authority, but to make ourselves an example unto you to follow us. So here Paul reveals that he knew and taught that those that labored in the gospel were worthy and had the biblical authority to be uh, paid to cover the basic need to exist. The biblical truth was not new. Luke chapter 10 verse 7, 1 Timothy chapter 5 verse 18, Matthew chapter 10 verse 10, and Leviticus chapter 19 verse 13. Yet, because of the abuses which were common throughout the culture where Paul founded churches, Paul and his companions chose to differentiate themselves from those who used the model of what God intended as a cloak for personal gain and a lifestyle of ease. Paul wanted the Thessalonians to know that he did what he did due to a love for Christ and for Christ's church, not personal advancement or notoriety. Verse 10, 
For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. So Paul reduced the matter down to bumper sticker simplicity. You don't work, you don't eat. This is not the same as the inability to work, but rather the decision not only to not work when you have the ability to work, but to refrain from working and charge one's living expenses to others who can and do work. Verse 11, For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all, but are busybodies. So, as if it weren't bad enough that there were those who had the ability to work but chose not to and instead lived off the hard work of their fellow believers, these same people used the time that they had instead of working to mind everyone else's business. The original language suggests that these people thought of themselves as having some official office whose job title it was to supervise and check up on the church members to make sure that they were doing what they were supposed to do while these people sat around and just criticized and uh, Monday morning quarterbacked everybody else. Verse 12. Now them that are such... We command and exhort by the Lord Jesus Christ that with quietness they work and eat their own bread. Quietness here in the original, hey, sokia. This is descriptive of the life of one who stays at home doing his own work and does not officiously meddle with the affairs of others brings to mind and reminds me of the person who always has something to say about everything. No matter how good the idea, no matter how well executed, this person can somehow always find a better way to do it or something wasn't just quite right. Moreover, this person is always quick and very vocal to let everyone know what is wrong and why. Verse 13 but ye, brethren, be not weary in well-doing. Weary in the original, simply to be weary in anything or to lose courage or to faint. Well-doing just simply means to do well, to act uprightly. So, given the circumstances of persecution and suffering in the Thessalonian church, as well as those internally who were not working, being busybodies and false teachers, as well as everyday struggles of the flesh, one can see where there would be the constant need to remind oneself, to be reminded not to grow weary in doing what God has called us to do, and to do all that we do as unto the Lord. In other words, keep up the good work, don't lose hope. Keep going. The end is in sight. The light is at the end of the tunnel. Don't worry about those who right now who seem to be doing well, who seem to be getting all the accolades, who seem to be getting all the rewards. Everything is going well for them. And while meanwhile, I'm doing hard work, 
nobody's noticing, nobody seems to care. Keep all that out of mind. Focus. Keep going. Do well. Don't lose courage. Don't faint. God will reward in open what is done in secret. Verse 14. And if any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man and have no company with him that he may be ashamed. This is simply a repeat of verse 6 with regard to church discipline. Verse 15. Yet count him not as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. So again, in keeping with church discipline, the purpose and goal of church discipline is not vengeance or getting even or simply discipline for discipline's sake. The purpose is always to reconcile people to Christ, to make a better relationship. Therefore, we exercise discipline for Christ's sake and for love for our brethren. Our personal animosity hatred, anger, or a sense of enmity. Once personal animosity, hatred, anger, or a sense of enmity exists on our part, we're no longer engaged in biblical discipline. We're engaged in sin. Verse 16. Now the Lord of peace himself give you peace always, by all means. The Lord be with you all. Verse 17, the salutation of Paul by my own hand, which is the token in every epistle, so I write. And finally, verse 18, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. So as we look at a summary, looking at both 1st and 2nd Thessalonians and their context, it appears that perhaps Second Thessalonians was written once Timothy and or Silas returned, having delivered the first letter to the Thessalonians. I make this observation because some of the topic of Second Thessalonians is very similar, if not almost identical to the first, but the topics seem to imply that he had additional information which required targeted specificity to address such as the timing of Christ's return relative to the persecution and tribulation which they were enduring. The remaining topics of 2 Thessalonians are general admonition and encouragement to the Christian faith. In chapter 1, we saw a general salutation to Thessalonica with encouragement for uh, the common predicament of tribulation and persecution, which they were all in. We saw a reminder of the purpose of persecution and tribulation, which is the refining work of sanctification and completion of the Ordo Salutis and its final state of glorification and eternal reward. In chapter 2, we saw a call to encouragement a reminder and a refresher course on eschatology regarding the fate of the church relative to persecution, tribulation, and the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ to gather his saints. 
we, we saw a charge to hold fast to that which was taught and instructed from the foundation and not depart from it. In chapter 3, we found a unified prayer that the truth of the gospel should advance and that the saint should be protected from the world of the unregenerate. We saw an admonition to patiently wait for the return of Christ and to redeem the time in the interim by remaining positively productive as a witness to the world and to hold each other accountable by our actions, which are generated by the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit, as well as finally we had a closure to the second letter of Thessalonians. Finally, in closing, 2 Thessalonians, taken in context with 1 Thessalonians, the circumstances of the church and a proper understanding of Jewish culture, rabbinic literature, and God's fall-slash-winter festivals, i.e. the Moedim, paint an unmistakable portrait of the place of God's elect, the church, and eschatology. Without a proper correlation and understanding of the Moedim, we are left interpreting First and Second Thessalonians within the limitations of the language, the culture, and the history, interpretation, context, and grammar, all of which can be innocently guided to a different eschatology outcome by using different preconceived notions and a misunderstanding of other verses and passages of Scripture. It's only when we correlate all of the information alongside the Moedim that we get a clear picture of what Paul and ultimately what God is revealing. The conclusion is that 2 Thessalonians is a letter written by Paul but inspired by God's Spirit. The letter is timeless since it is applicable to all churches everywhere in all ages to encourage and comfort Christ's saints in the face of persecution and general tribulation until such time as Christ comes and raptures his church. This concludes this episode. Now, if you have any questions about God, the Bible, or the Christian faith, I encourage you to write me an email at pastor underscore Yeshua at yahoo.com. That's P-A-S-T-O-R underscore Y-E-S-H-U-A at yahoo.com. Thank you for listening. Trust in